Welcome to the Home and Away podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast network. I'm your host for the day, Nick Agar-Johnson, and I'm here today with Albert Kim. Albert, how are you doing this fine afternoon? I'm doing amazing. I am so excited to be back. I love when you give me a chance to jump on the pod at any pod with you, whether it's here or your other pods or your million other ventures in life. But I just, I like, I like chopping it up with you, Nick. So I'm excited. I am excited too. And today is a very, very important day for our friendship, Albert. Today, it's an incredibly important day. It is the one year anniversary of the Josh Donaldson trade. For, for our listeners out there who don't know, Nick and I, we have a lot of incredible memories talking about the one and only Josh Donaldson. Um, can I share the story? Is this okay? I don't think you can, actually. <laughs> you know what? Okay. All I'll say is there was a night in Vegas where we talked a lot about Josh Donaldson and we had a lot of fun making fun of him. So... Yes. To I'm be saying. to be clear, nothing positive about Josh Donaldson was said in in any context during any of these conversations. <laughs> oh God, hot start. We're off to a hot start. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew I was going to start off with fire when I threw that one out there. But speaking of starting with fire, let's go and talk about the subject of today's podcast. So we are talking about your recent article on Colby Jones, and spoiler alert. For those of you who are listening to this, wait a couple days and then go back and check out our YouTube on Thursday where Albert did a very special interview with Corey Tulliba and Colby Jones of Xavier. So Colby is who we're going to be talking about today. I'm assuming you didn't spend the entire time with him talking about the Fast and the Furious film. I am assuming you covered different kinds of film there. But yeah, a lot of fun. So definitely be on the lookout for that one. (laughs) Yeah, we I actually didn't bring it up at all. Um, you know, was trying to be super professional and stuff like that. But no, it, it was a really great time. And obviously, you know, we'll reference it here as we talk about the different aspects of his game. But um, yeah, I hope everyone gets to check it out because it was a lot of fun. So again, definitely check that out on Thursday. But we'll start in with our little dive here. And I wanted to start with the offensive stuff because I think that's sort of the easiest area to look at Colby Jones this year as opposed to previous years and sort of see why he's gained popularity in sort of the draft consensus. And I've said multiple times throughout this season that basically every time I look at my board, I look at where Colby Jones is and say, I could probably, should I put him a little higher? I should probably put him a little higher. And a huge part of that is because his three point shooting has really turned around, but he has just such a well-rounded offensive game overall. So Let's start with that. What did you see from Colby Jones in terms of his scoring when you put together the film for this piece? Um, I, I think there are a lot of layers um, and aspects to his, his offensive game. And that's something we talked about with him, you know, mm-hmm. the versatility to his game and the fact that he can affect um, the outcome on the offensive side of the ball in so many different ways. And, you know, whether it's his pick and roll stuff, right? He can run the pick and roll as a ball handler. He can make 
uh, all types of reads uh, out of that action. Uh, when he's off ball as well, he's improved a ton as a catch and shoot three point shooter um, on the season. He's over 40% on, I think it was like 3.4, 3.5 attempts per game. Um, and then also even like his movement, right? His off ball cutting, his awareness, his court awareness, knowing where to be, knowing when to cut, knowing, you know, how to spread the floor for his teammates. All that stuff is, you know, really, really important. And so when we're talking about his offense, like I think the first thing that we brought up with him and that needs to be brought up here as we're talking about it is how versatile of a player he is and how, you know, all that versatility, in my opinion, comes from him being a really selfless player as well. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned the selflessness throughout the piece, and that's, I think, a critical part of this. I mean, you know, when we're talking about Colby Jones, we're talking about someone who you know, isn't going to be the primary scorer for his team. I mean, he, you know, certainly is not going to be at the NBA level. He's, you know, pretty, pretty much the lead guy for Xavier, but, you know, not, not in the same way that you would expect like a primary scoring option to be. And a huge part of that is just because he facilitates a lot for his teammates, you know, we'll get into his passing in depth later on, certainly, but, you know, the cutting is a huge part of it. And I think, again, the key word that you mentioned is the unselfishness, you know, he's not someone who, if he doesn't have a good look, you know, he's not someone who's just going to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to dribble my way into, you know, some, something useful here. He's going to keep the ball moving. He's going to make the right read, even if it necessarily doesn't show up on the box score in his own statistics. No, a hundred percent. And like something that I said to him when we were recording, I was like, Hey man, like you are, you know, Corey, he likes to refer to guys like this as like the coach's son, right? The guy who <laughs> yeah. makes all the right plays, is always doing the right things, who cares about winning. And that's actually something that he brought up at the very beginning of the pod. He was like, I I'm just down to do whatever it takes to win. Like, I want to make winning plays. I want to do the right things. I want to be a good teammate. I want to, you know, score when I have to. Like, it it's 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 that spirit that he has as a player that he's like, I'm just down to do whatever. And if that helps us win, I, I'm okay with it. And I think that kind of bleeds into every aspect of his game, which is why for me, like as I watched him throughout the season, I just caught myself saying, like, damn, like I just really love watching this guy play basketball. And there's and and I think that selflessness that I was talking about before kind of leads you to like it leads to him being a more desirable prospect, you know, like, oh, he just because he's so selfless, because he's always doing the right thing, it's like, how can you not love watching this guy play basketball? Absolutely. And, you know, something that I talk about a lot on deep dives in particular is just, you know, the many different ways that someone can earn their way into a rotation, right? And, you know, the simplest way of saying that is just, oh, you know, do all the little things, right? Like screen, box out, you know, make the hit ahead pass, make the, you know, pass that'll lead to the assist, right? All of those things that, you know, don't show up on the score line. But if you're talking about, you know, say Colby Jones in an NBA context, right? It's like, okay, what can you rely on this guy to do? And the answer is you're not just putting him in there to be a shooter, right? You're not just putting him in there to, you know, make plays, move the ball. You're not just putting him in there for his defense. You're putting him in there for the package of all the different things that he brings to the table rather than just one particularly elite skill. No, uh, yep. You said it perfectly. Um, the lazy person in me just wants to be like, yes. <laughs> correct and move on but no you're you're right man I, I think like when you watch him play you know he's clearly growing and like this is not his final form like he's clearly growing as a passer facilitator um the shooting he's taking a big step something that we talked about with his shooting I don't know if maybe this is like a good segue into that but um talking to him about the shooting was really interesting and like I asked him straight up so 
you know, like Corey had asked a question. He was like, yeah, mechanically I was working on some stuff. And then I was like, hey, so if I could ask a little bit more, you know, in detail about those mechanics, what are some things that you worked on specifically to help you get to where you are now as a shooter? Because he's taking and making long distance threes, like NBA range type of threes. And the biggest thing that he said was he felt like um, in previous seasons, he was taking shots like kind of at a standstill or off like a hop step. And mm. um, in the off season, he really worked on the one, two step and that helped him get into a better rhythm. Um, and the results are there, right? He shot with 40, 41% on the season. And so I, I think the the catch and shoot shooting was something that he showed a lot of growth in. And of course, like off of that, off of the the gravity of that shooting, he's able to then leverage, you know, those opportunities into him doing some of the other stuff that he really does enjoy doing, like the passing and the driving and the floater, especially. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of times when we're talking about certain NBA prospects is like, Oh, he'd be great. If only he can shoot, if only he can shoot, if only he can shoot. Right. And, you know, Colby Jones has sort of fleshed out that part of that, uh, that part of his game. And, it's interesting that, you know, you do mention that point with, you know, him sort of feeling more comfortable with it, because that's something that we also talk about a lot, right? Like, you know, there are players who, you know, they'll hit 40%, but they'll do it on like one attempt per game, right? Or, you know, you'll get, say, someone who I know that we're both a fan of in this draft in Jordan Hawkins, who's basically just, you know, <laughs> letting fly every time he gets, you know, even an inch of space from the on the arc. And, you know, Kobe Jones is between those two extremes, clearly, but, you know, he's gotten to the point, I mean, it's not just that his shooting percentage has gone up dramatically from three-point range, but yeah, he's gotten to a point where he's taking three and a half per game as opposed to the just barely over two and just under two that he was his freshman and sophomore years. Oh, yeah, dude. I, it's this thing, right? Like We talk about this all the time with prospects. You get theoretical shooters, and mm-hmm. um, it, you hope that they'll figure it out. Um, but like it, it, it just means a lot where even if a guy's percentages are low – if he has the desire and the willingness to put up shots, I sometimes feel like that outweighs the low percentages. Um, and then that's the exciting thing with Kobe Jones this year is that when you watch his tape, he was willing to take the shots. Like the scout on him, obviously, for a lot of teams was in pick and roll action. If he was a ball handler for the defenders to go under the screen and to essentially let him shoot. And, yeah. you know, he took that, you know, on his chin and said, you know what, if you guys are going to go under it, me, I'm going to make you pay. And he did that enough this season where his gravity as a shooter changed. And, you know, that's something I I was actually going to ask him, but never got the chance to. But you could see it on tape where as his shooting gravity grew, he was able to really start attacking the rim and flash. He's got a fantastic floater. Great touch on it. It's something that he really trusts and relies on as a weapon. And because he improved that outside shooting and was willing to take them, number one, once again, right, like a Jordan Hawkins who is not shy and is willing to put up a ton of them per game, that type of willingness and confidence, even if you're not making them all the time, leads to that type of gravity. And I think Kobe Jones showed that this year and why we're talking about him in the range that we're talking about him. I think that's a great way of putting it. And I think the floater context is really a great way to sort of lead into the next part of the discussion I want to get to. I'm curious because you mentioned in the piece that you would like to see him pull up more for mid-range. The way I see his game, though, I feel like really what he needs is just something to do if defensive defenses force him away from the shot from long range. And I don't know. I mean, given how good he is with that floater, is it really that much of a priority for him, do you think, to be able to pull up more in the mid range? Because, I mean, it's not the kind of thing where, I mean, you know, 
we talked about it a lot last season of being concerned about Jaden Ivey when he's forced off the three-point line, what he does in that in-between range. I mean, with Colby Jones, he has that floater and he's pretty good with it. So, you know, I guess, I guess my question there is, you know, how important do you think it is for him to add specifically a mid-range pull-up rather than just getting to his, getting to that shot that he's shown, you know, he can knock down and also that he's clearly very comfortable with. So, I think it's a two pronged type of thing where, cause like I, I brought it up to him actually in our interview and I was like, Hey man, so I feel like there are some opportunities for you to take it all the way to the rim. And my mm-hmm. reasoning for that is like, you're freaking, you're built like a shit brick house, you know, like you might as well go take it into somebody's chest and go destroy someone and also pick up the foul. Um, but also like I mentioned in my piece. So the reason why I brought up the mid range jump shooting is because I mean, like pick and roll coverage right some teams are going to be playing drop and not all of these centers are going to be super agile and willing to step out to him so if he starts consistently taking and making that mid-range jump shot it's going to kind of force some of these centers to step up a little bit harder and then in my opinion what the the reason why i brought it up was because i felt like he could then once again now from the mid-range use that same gravity to get even easier looks at the rim and drive Mm -hmm. right past with like a little head fake hesitation jab step in and out whatever to get all the way to the rim for easy buckets and drawing fouls and so i mean it, it is this thing where you know Corey and i we really agree with um when we talk about elite nba scorers obviously people talk about pace and space and shooting from deep but having that mid-range game in your bag definitely opens things up because that in-between shot is going to be there and if it's something that you're consistently good at that can also add even more gravity to you especially if you're running spread pick and roll and that that big man's dropping and he's got to step out to you that now from like 18 18 feet then you can leverage that into different opportunities as well was kind of where i guess my my head went yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. And to be clear, I'm not saying that that's, you know, not something he should be working on. I guess for me, it's just like, it feels like it's less of a priority because he's so good from that floater range. But I mean, I think the key point there is, you know, it would really help his game if he could get to the free throw line more often. And, you know, I think you brought it perfectly. That's the kind of area where, you know, rather than just, you know, pump faking from the three point line, generating space that way, you can also, you know, generate space closer inside the arc when, you know, a big man's rushing out onto you can't get all the way there. But, you know, I think I think really the way I see it is more just that at least he has something in the mid-range area that he's yeah. comfortable with rather than, you know, there are a lot of prospects who you get them in that, you know, 10 to 15 foot range. And it's like a bit of a record scratch moment. You're not going to see that with Colby Jones. A hundred percent. I agree with that. It's it's better to have something than to have absolutely nothing. Right. And yeah. so. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, unless that's something is Josh Donaldson at third base, but you know, oh, oh boy. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, oh my God! At the end of this, we should t- definitely talk some baseball. But um, I, I will say, I will say, like I, I definitely agree with you because it is something that he can like actually reliably, consistently rely on. Like it's yeah. that good. Like the touch on it is fantastic. And he's really good at even like mixing up like the timings on them. Like sometimes it'll be like a more of a higher floater and more of sometimes it's like more of a line drive ish type of thing. And that kind of depends on like where he's at on the floor and who's jumping out. to Like it's really good. It, 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 there's so much nuance to it, to it and uh, so much skill to it. So I'm with you, man. It's, it's fantastic that he has it in his bag. Dom Toretto likes to get his family involved. Kobe Jones also likes to get his family involved. Let's talk about the passing stuff with him because that's, I think, really stand out and critically important for him because he's not a point guard. You know, I don't think anybody's going to, you know, make him a primary (laughs) 
on ball guard anytime soon, but he is a great passer for his size. And I mean, that's going to really play up at the next level as well, you know, and it's really interesting because, you know, when you're clipping entry passes into the post, it's like, okay, you know, maybe this is not the kind of thing that's going to show up on, you know, the, the highlight reel anytime soon, but it's really important. And it's the kind of thing that if you can do it well enough, will get you minutes, you know, not just specifically post entry passes, but you know, the idea behind being a really good passer, even if you're not a primary point guard, just someone who can keep the ball moving in a positive way. Colby Jones clears that threshold by orders of magnitude. The way that I, I've been thinking about it a lot recently, Nick, and I, I thought about it this morning as I was driving. Um, if you think about the three guys that are in the MVP discussion right now, they're uh, Nicole Jokic, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? These are all guys who, in terms of scoring, do a lot of their score, scoring from from the low post, from the mid post, um, and beyond that. But, you know, these are their bigs, right, that need a good entry pass once in a while. And I feel like Colby Jones, in the range that he's going to be taking, right, either lottery, late lottery, early teens, 20s, wherever, I, I think he's going to end up playing on a really good team. And he may end up playing with a center that's going to rely on those types of passes. And like I highlighted in my piece that you just mentioned as well, an entry pass feels like such a small part of the game. And yet I feel like it's kind of a lost art right now. There are a lot mm. of teams that really struggle with the entry pass. And that's something that I highlighted with my Knicks last season. I felt like the Knicks really struggled with the entry pass. And then this year they bring in Jalen Brunson and he's doing a great job of doing that with Jalen, with um, Julius Randle. And I, and I think overall with Kobe Jones, like it may seem like a small detail that I decided to highlight about his game. But if you look at the context of the NBA where post play and mid post play is very important and a good entry pass can make a huge difference. I, I, I did feel like it was important enough to highlight. I think there's another really important point that you brought up in there, which is Kobe Jones is probably going to be going to a good team. He's probably not going to be going in the lottery. He's probably going to be going somewhere in the 15 to, you know, 30 range, some somewhere around there. Right. So you're getting someone rather than someone who, you know, you're pinning the whole hopes of the team's future on, you know, this guy becoming a superstar, right. It's like, okay, you know, can you come in, be our seventh man, you know, fill an important role for us and get us from like, you know, a six seed to a four seed, right. Get us from like in the play in picture to, you know, a six seed above that picture. Right. You know, he's someone who rather than just taking a swing on, you know, Oh, this guy could be, you know, an all-star. He could also be out of the league in four years with Colby Jones. It's like, you know, I'm pretty confident that this guy will be able to play a role at the NBA level for a long time. You know, maybe he won't be, you know, a starter or maybe he won't, you know, almost certainly won't be an all-star, but you know, you get him, on your team, you have him play 15, 20 minutes a night, and he's going to make positive contributions for you. Perfect. You said it perfectly. That's exactly how I view his NBA outlook. And this, the the player that I comped him to in my piece, one of the guys that I mentioned was Malcolm Brogdon. Mm-hmm. And you look at Malcolm Brogdon's game and how, what he's doing for the Boston Celtics, what he did <clears throat> for the Bucks before as well the Pacers he was on the Pacers too, right? Why am I tripping out? Um, yeah. But like, it's it, it's this thing where having like a strong foundation of skills um nba teams like that stuff you know they they want guys who can do the small things well and can do a lot of different things well the the classic classic jack of all trades type of thing but i i just really feel like as you mentioned he can be a guy and also nick i want to say 
I don't think it's crazy to imagine him one day even making like one or two all-star games because I, I do feel like there's still like just the, the amount of growth that he's shown in college. Like I always ask myself like, okay, like if he grew and got better in college, like I think he can do that in the NBA too. Like, I don't think that's crazy. And I'm not saying that you said that he was great, that it's crazy to think that, but I was just thinking to myself, like I actually think that there's a world where this guy could become like a really solid starting two guard or three or, you know, whatever. I don't even want to put a label on what position this guy would play, (laughs) what Kobe would play in the NBA, but he's a guy that I really do think can offer a lot of different things. And he's only going to get better. We were talking about, I was like, what are some things that you're going to be working on? Right. And then before you head into the NBA and he's like, dude, I want to tighten my handle. That's really important to me. I want to continue to work on shooting off the dribble. Right. So, just imagine like we're talking highlighting the things that he's good at if he adds a tighter handle and he improves his shooting off the dribble this is a guy who could average who knows 18 to 20 points a game so i i think for me like the way that i look at him is for sure like i think his floor is going to be a really solid contributor but i i think there might be a world where he becomes even more than that yeah, that's sort of what I was getting at was the floor angle of it, of the like, you know, they're much higher, I think, low end variance players than Colby Jones. Like, I have a pretty high level of confidence that Colby Jones can be that role player type that I was mentioning. But yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, we tend to not we at no ceilings, but we as a, you know, community of people who are generally interested in the NBA draft, you know, tend to sort of underrate how much development goes on once these guys actually make it to <laughs> professional basketball. And, you know, with Colby Jones in particular, I mean, him working on his handle and, you know, working on his pull-up jumpers, that's going to be the kind of thing that could, you know, really sort of elevate him to the next level from beyond, like, you know, a role player or a fifth starter type to, okay, you know, this is actually someone who can be, like, rather than just, like, a, you know, secondary option at college, you know, primary secondary option at the college level, he can be, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a primary guy, but, you know, if he does get to the point where he's a second or third scorer on an NBA team and, you know, we'll get into his defense in a minute, but, you know, if his defense really translates and, you know, he really does show that kind of development in those two specific areas, I think those two specific things could be what could, you know, push him over the edge into, you know, from more than a role player to starter or potential even star upside. No, I'm with you, man. I, I really am. I, I do believe that with what you're talking about with him improving the off the dribble stuff and imp- improving his handle, I'm with you. I actually don't think uh, he's going to be a primary creator uh, initiator. I think he's going to be a secondary yeah. guy. Like you could easily see them, you know, swinging the ball to him, second side, pick and roll. He could definitely run that type of stuff. No problem. He has that already in his bag, but just imagine like if he currently walks into the league and he's like a nine point average guy, nine points per game type of guy. And he adds the off the dribble shooting and he takes it to the basket more, picks up more free throws. Like let's imagine he adds four or five points from the free throw line per game, a couple Mm -hmm. three, a couple more threes per game. Then we're easily talking about like 16, 17, 18 points per game, right? There's, there's a world where that's possible. So I'm with you, Nick. Like I really do believe in the guy and just talking to him and like you listen to his mentality that he plays with. All he cares about is winning. Like it's not like, I don't think he cares about scoring. I don't think he cares about numbers. I think he simply cares about winning. And he highlighted the fact that he had really good coaches growing up that emphasized, you know, the whole defense wins championship type of thing and being selfless and playing, you know, on a team as a team player. And so, 
considering all that and the spirit that he plays with once again and the fact that he's going to continue to work on his game it's it's easy to get excited about his outlook ironically enough that might actually make him less likely to be an all-star even though it might make him more likely to be like an actually good valuable player because like he's not gonna you know if he's not gonna be gunning for that 25 point per game season you know he might actually be contributing more positively than if he was just you know (laughs) chucking up shots but you know yeah i mean it's really just a question of how much he can develop you know particularly in terms of generating his own offense off the dribble because again that's the kind of thing where that could really boost his game to another level but i mean if he does it in, if he doesn't really integrate that in a sort of you know consistent way at the NBA level, he's still got such a solid baseline of skills that he'll figure something out, even if it's not you know the pure scoring, you know the twenty points a game that might get him an All Star game nod somewhere down the line. Yeah, man, uh, I'm with you. I'm excited. I it's like I was excited already. Like as I was writing my piece and watching his tape, I was like, God, like I just can't shake this feeling that I like this guy. He's freaking awesome. There's there's this magnetic quality about him that I wrote about. And then after you talk to him and he's like so like no frills, down to earth, and he's just like, Yeah, man, like I just care about winning. Um, just care about making the right plays. Like I'm a simple guy. And it's like, all right, cool. Like, this is why we can get behind you. And re- and, and the reason why, like, there's a general consensus at our website that we love you and we love your game because it, this th- what you're saying to us comes off the screen. We can feel yeah. that with the way that you play. And that's so amazing. Yeah, there are some times when uh, players say things that don't entirely jibe with the way that they actually play. But, you know, hey, you, you, you can go ahead and, and say that if you want. You have you have every right to say that if that's how you feel. It might not actually show up on the film, but if that's how you feel, go for it. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't do the interview, unfortunately. But, you know, it does seem very clearly that those are the kind of things that pop off the screen. It doesn't surprise me at all that that was your impression when you interviewed him. Yeah, man, he was great. He was really great. Well, definitely check out that interview um, in you know <laughs> two days after you listen to this podcast, probably. But you know, whatever. If you are listening to this later and you have not checked out the Colby Joe's interview, be sure to do that. Let's move on to his defense, and <laughs> it's funny because you know one of the first paragraphs you have here is uh, as ridiculous as all this has been. You know, in reference to your <laughs> Fast and the Furious uh, comparisons, which you know, okay, I'll take it, but. He is a serious defender. And, you know, that's kind of that really jives with everything you've been saying about how this is someone who, you know, really cares about winning, who wants to make the right play for winning basketball, who wants to, you know, try and put his team in the best position to win. I mean, you know, we've talked about it more than a few times about how so much of defense is just effort. Right. And, you know, he's he's someone who you're not going to be concerned about him, you know, putting in the effort on every possession. Um, to put it to put it simply, he gives a shit. He there does, we go. man. He <laughs> really does. Like it's it's important to him, and that's something I asked him too. I was like, dude, it, it just feels like you take a lot of pride in your defense, and he's mm-hmm. like, absolutely. It's something that I, I take a, a, on as pride. It's something that you know is important to me. It's the reason why I want to guard the best players. It's the reason why I don't like when they score on me because it messes with that pride. And I was like, dude, yeah, that's exactly what I can see. And it's, it's just, once again, it's another thing where he's so genuine to what he's like, his actions literally speak as loud as his words. And it's like everything that he's saying, you see it on this tape and you're like, wow, okay. Like he's always, I won't, I won't say always because no defender is always locked in, but he's, it seems like that's he's not true. Patrick Beverly is always locked in. Always, okay. every single moment I, of every single day, Patrick Beverly is locked in. 
at least that's what he says, right? So, yeah. um, anyway. <laughs> um, but Colby Jones, a very serious defender, a guy who, and I asked him, like, what are some of the principles that you guys, you know, really are working on right now? And he's, he's, like, he's like, dude, just get my chest into people, staying vertical, not swiping down, not fouling. All of that shows on tape. And that's something that we I, I brought up and I talked about it in my, in my piece as well. Like, he's such a strong guy with yeah. just an absolutely insane physique and he's so good at leveraging that strength into diverting guys away from the paths they want to take and the angles they, they want to take when they're driving and that's not always the easiest thing to do because the reason why also it's so effective is that he also has really good lateral movement like he can move side to side i'm not going to say that he's the fastest lateral mover mover but he's a very effective lateral mover. And if you take that and you com combine that with his extremely powerful upper body, that's going to mess with guys. It's not going to be easy to score against him. And, and another thing he mentioned, he wants to continue to work on his physicality. So um, if we're imagining those same principles with his baseline ability right now with an even stronger, more fit, more agile, more, more NBA-educated defender, it's scary to think about. Yeah. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where a lot of players, I mean, the two examples that I always go to uh, for this specifically are De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, just because, you know, I watched a ton of them for the Kings. But, you know, when you come into the NBA and you're undersized, it really affects you so much more on the defensive end than on the offensive end. And, you know, with someone like Fox or Halliburton or, you know, even skinnier big guys like, you know, <laughs> Really, the easiest one was just uh, I remember very vividly watching a game of Jared Allen in his rookie year for the Nets, just getting absolutely shoved under the basket on every possession. It's like, you know what? At a certain point, if you're coming into the NBA with, you know, your strength, your physicality being a positive, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that's going to be hugely beneficial on the defensive end because he's not coming into the league needing to put on 10 to 15 pounds, right? He's not Turquavion Smith. He's not like we're really worried about, you know, how this guy's going to defend anybody because, you know, he's gets to the level where he's no longer playing against college players and he's playing against, you know, grown men. It's going to be a bit of a different story. But I mean, with Colby, he's coming into the league, you know, with those physicality concerns on his side rather than being something that, you know, he needs to struggle against. To put it simply, he's not Poku. <laughs> um, no, he is not. He's not. He, he might he's win as much as Poku. Maybe, maybe <laughs> it's possible, if not more, but he, he's built like a brick house, man. And yeah. it's, it's really incredible. And I love like the focus is the focus. The physicality is what it is, but like, just, you know, the energy's always there too. And like Corey actually played a clip of them playing against UConn and you see him just chasing Jordan Hawkins uh, screen after screen after screen across the court, weak side corner. Yeah. He's everywhere. And it's just like, that's a guy who wants it. It's mm -hmm. as simple as that. Like some, it doesn't really need like a long explanation. The guy just gives a shit and he wants it more than other people do. And sometimes that's all you need to look really beautiful as a defender. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're going up against someone like Jordan Hawkins, you are not going to be slowing down. Like if you're following him through every screen, you are not going to be taking any breaths. <laughs> I, I said to him, I was like, bro, I, I'm sure before the game, you told yourself, I'm going to get my cardio today for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure he did. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that, you know, the statement about the defense and the effort is pretty simple. And, you know, ultimately, even though you wrote this long, wonderful piece about it, you boil it down to Colby Jones is going to be good. Pretty simple statement, but packed with truth. 
and then you know further on same paragraph my goal in writing this piece was to get you to look at his game and go i like that guy so yeah well done on that front i mean he was someone i liked coming in but it's you know even easier to like him after that but yeah i mean i think it's just a whole lot of what we've been talking about which is there's such a high floor with him of this is someone who if you put on the court he's going to find ways to contribute positively and then, you know, the real question is sort of, you know, how much do you buy into what he was saying with his, you know, working on his off the dribble shelf, working on his pull up, you're not in terms of like, is he going to work on it? It seems pretty clear, like he is going to work on it. The question being just, is that something he's going to get to incorporate into his game at the NBA level? And I always lean on Kig's examples because, you know, they're the team that I watch the most, but, you know, with Keegan Murray, the difference between october keegan murray and march keegan murray just purely in terms of what it seems like he's allowed to do like you know he's allowed to try and you know create something off the dribble now in a way that he was not in october you know he's allowed to be more of a facilitator passing wise in the offense rather than just move the ball as soon as you get it or you know put up a shot from deep right you know that's the kind of thing where if like Keegan Murray and like I believe Colby Jones does, you have, you know, a solid enough baseline that you can get yourself out there onto the floor. I think for Colby, it's probably going to be more, you know, eighth man than like fifth starter like Keegan was to start the year. But once you get into the games, once you get yourself on the court, he does enough that you can, you know, reliably think to yourself, okay, he's, you know, going to prove himself. He's going to find a way to get out of the floor, you know, for a lot of the time. And then once, you know, if that's year one, then it'll be really, really interesting to see what year two, year three looks like for him. You know, he already had this massive shooting jump from his sophomore year to this year. Does he continue to improve his three-point shooting? Does he, you know, get more of those mid-range pull-up looks like you were mentioning? Does he get a little bit better with his handle like you mentioned he was working on? Those are the kinds of things that can boost his ceiling. But in terms of, like, I'm pretty confident that this is an NBA player, I mean, he is he is up there in this class in terms of, like, I am – quite confident that this guy will have an NBA role for a pretty long time. I, Nick, I think the classic saying is still true. Um, growth and progression and development is not linear. We don't mm-hmm. know for sure how these players are going to develop, which is why sometimes I look at myself and I look at us at no ceilings and I wonder why the hell did we decide to start an NBA draft website when <laughs> we may end up being so wrong so many times because uh, yeah. a- as much as we watch these guys and we think we have an idea of who they are as players and the track that they're taking developmentally, there's so many different factors that go into development and growth that we really don't freaking know how these guys are going to turn out. But I I think if I had to kind of like hang my hat on something to trust and to believe in is obviously going to be work ethic. It's like, I, 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 I'm not going to feel bad about taking a risk on a guy that tries hard, a Mm. guy that works hard, a guy that is dedicated to his craft and honing his craft. Like those are the types of guys that I, in my opinion, eight times, nine times out of 10 end up, either you know panning out and hitting you know like a median outcome or even their one percent awesome outcomes you know it's because they put in the work and the effort and i think with kobe like you mentioned he's already shown the world that he can improve he's done that in college and of course like there is going to be a skill speed strength level um, adjustment for him to make in the nba but he's already aware of that. You know, we asked him about that and he's like, dude, I get it. Like, it's something I'm going to have to work on and be prepared for, but I've done it at every level and I'm ready for this next challenge to come. And I think that's exciting. That's 
you know, as a fan, as a viewer, as a watcher, and then eventually, you know, whatever team he ends up on, like if he ends up on the Knicks, I'm just going to be like, cool, dude. I, well, I'll be more than saying cool, but yeah, I'll, I think you'll be pretty be excited if he ends up on the Knicks. Yeah, dude. But I'll be excited for him too. Like I, I I'm really going to believe as a Nick fan that we drafted a guy who's going to help our team, a guy who's going to be working on his game. I love the example that you just gave about Keegan Murray, because I just watched him play against the Knicks last week. And I was like, Hey, this guy's different from the guy I watched early in the season where, you know, there are some people on Twitter questioning him um, being the first round selection of the Kings. And I was just like, um, you know, these guys get better at basketball. You know, they get to the NBA and they get NBA coaches and NBA facilities and NBA dieting and conditioning and all these things. And, you know, a lot of times guys get better. And especially a guy like Keegan has been really fun to watch. And I'm excited for a guy like Kobe Jones, too. I think the same thing will be true. And I'm not saying he's going to be a smash hit in year one. But really quickly, Nick, a guy that I got to interview last cycle, Jalen Williams. You know, he had you know not like a slow start per se, but, you know, he wasn't doing the things that he's now doing for OKC, having 28, 30 point, 30 point games and doing a ton of other stuff on the floor. These things take time, as Mr. There we go. would say. <laughs> there we go. Now, it's it's really interesting because, you know, what I <laughs> it's almost what I like most and least about the draft evaluation process is just how many random variables there are. Like, you know, sometimes you, you know, you, you do your, the best that you can, right? You watch all these prospects, you try and figure out, okay, you know, do I value this guy's shooting over this guy's defensive chops? You know, that sort of thing is you're trying to put a board together with the entire knowledge that like, it's really funny because when Nathan and I did the latest rookie rank podcast, it was, I was basically like, all right, so I was completely wrong about Walker Kessler and I was completely wrong about Andrew Nemhard. Great. That's, that's nice. But you know, it's that moment where it's like, wow, you know, you can look at all of these different things and it could just be something as simple as this guy hit a wall and said, you know what, I'm going to get myself in the gym. I'm going to put up 500 shots a night until I figure this thing out. And you're going to get other people who hit a wall and say, oh my God, I've been the best player on the court every time I've stepped out on the court since I was five years old and now I'm not anymore. What do I do? Right. And, you know, when you're talking about someone like Colby, it seems pretty clear from, you know, everything you said from the interview, but also just from, you know, watching him play that he's, you know, not the kind of person who's going to get to a point where, you know, something goes wrong and he just assumes it's always, you know, that he sort of gives up rather than just trying to plow his way through. He's great. He's great. And, and I really do think like for the for our listeners out there, if you if you read my piece, like I hope. I was able to shine some light on on the character of the player. Like that's ultimately why, and maybe I could have explained this better in my piece as well, but I think overall the reason why the Fast and the Furious franchise was able to last 10 movies is because there's there's something about these characters and especially like a Dom Toretto when you look at who they are as fictional characters and their personas and their and and, and just straight up like, their character right um as people like in the in this fake fictional world you you end up falling in love and you end up wanting to see more and you care about the story i mean that's kind of at the at the core of any type of 
story or movie or TV show or whatever. It's when you start caring about the characters, the characters is when you know you found a good one. And I think with Kobe Jones, I was just trying to relay the fact that like the more I watch this guy and watch his tape, like I care about him as a player and I want him to succeed and I want him to get better. And just watching what I was able to watch is, this was a guy who cared about getting better, a guy who cared about his teammates, a guy who cared about winning. And that made me then care about him. And so, I look, I, I still think evaluating prospects is the hardest thing I do in my life. And maybe that's a dumb, dumb thing to say, um, because like I just feel like I'm always wrong. Right. And I then also as an aside, Nick, I feel like us doing big boards is still the craziest thing that we do, because I still feel like I have no idea what the hell I'm doing every time I put a big board together because like I, I weigh like the 9 million different variables and I'm like, okay, why do I like Zach Eadie more than Kellel Ware? And I'm just like looking at this. I'm like, okay, cool. There are different factors here and there and whatever. Am I sure am I, I'm right about this? Or like five years from now is Kellel Ware going to be one of the best centers in the league? Like it's, it's crazy. You never know just because and, and then also like we're like stacking guys above each other that play like different positions i'm like it's it's crazy it's madness but i i think just getting back to my original point i, I think kobe jones is just a guy who when you watch him he kind of wins over your heart he's a guy that you want to root for a guy that you want to see succeed and i and i that's why i feel really good about writing about him because that's kind of important to me as a writer you know like i like writing about guys that i like that i'm rooting for that i want to see not that i ever want like a player to fail and anything like that but just unless they're just writing about exactly um but i do like writing about guys that i am kind of more inclined to if that makes sense that makes total sense and i'm definitely not going to put it any better than that so why don't we close this one out by wrapping up with some of the trashy treasures you put at the end so you mentioned earlier that we were going to talk some baseball at the end, but we do have to talk some football first because your Arsenal Football Club is putting on a special season in the Premier League. And I can't really talk given my Premier League team, but uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch Arsenal this season. It's not been a lot of fun to watch Chelsea this season, but Arsenal have been having a lot of fun out there. Um, it's been ridiculously fun. And um, it's been really fun for me to watch pundits uh in the uk talk about um arsenal and talk about them not having the championship dna them not having the experience to last um that they're eventually going to crumble to man city and look i i understand that like I, I understand that like it's hard to accept the new guy in town and, and to be fair arsenal isn't the new guy it's just they've been terrible for some time now um you know but it, it's it's it, Arsenal is one of the, we have one of the richest, deepest histories in English football, right? In world football. And so to, to think that they're the new guys in town is crazy, but we have a young roster that's really exciting to watch. A lot of homegrown guys from our academy who've come up since they were like kids. You talk about a guy like a Bukayo Saka, who is literally our best player right now. He's been with us since he was like before. I think he, he joined us when he was like 11 or something, dude. So yeah, he's been to, in the academy since he was a child. He's been incredible this season and even before that. And so to watch the success of this club has been phenomenal. And we've got, I think we've got like 11 games left, 11 matches left in the season. And just just watching the style of play that Arsenal play with, the system, the and the fact that the system is not rigid, but is so fluid and so tactically 
like at a, such a high level and the way that they're able to adjust to whoever they're playing and still hold the same core foundations with, you know, the way that they press at, uh, at the top of the field, the way that we stay wide when we're in, in, in the attacking phase. Like it's been so beautiful to watch how adaptable and yet consistent at the same time our system has been. And that's just the genius of Mikel Arteta. So I've, it's been such a joy to watch as a fan who, you know, all we've been watching is pain in the last five, six years. And to see us at the top of the table playing the way that we are, I am just welling with pride right now, man. It is wild how there were calls to fire Mikel Arteta last season. (laughs) It's it's (laughs) funny how quickly things can turn around. I mean, it's interesting too. You brought up Man City. I mean, I don't think there is a football fan in the world outside of, uh, well, I was going to say Manchester, but not Manchester. So probably like, you know, some portion of, uh, (laughs) probably, uh, you know, there's some part of uh, Qatar that's really, you know, would be really upset if uh, Manchester City ended up losing. But, you know, Outside of that, I think most world football fans who are following the Premier League are very happy that someone other than Man City might be on top for the first time in a while. So yeah, even with the inevitable destruction of Erling Holland, you know, bearing down on the rest of the Premier League, I'm still happier for Arsenal than I probably should be, given that I root for another London team. Um I appreciate that. And first off, I will say we do still have one more match against City before the end of the season, which will be huge. Yeah. Um, and I really do hope we come out on top on that one. But also, Nick, I will say this, and 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 I and I genuinely mean this when I say this to you. Like I don't really enjoy um, Chelsea, but <laughs> I will say, like I especially hated it when you guys stole Mikhailo Mudrik from us, and that was a guy that we he was like openly flirting with us on Instagram and stuff like that. But um, yeah, and said you took Dorginho. Okay, fine. True. 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 Somehow we're winning on that right now. Um, uh, that makes no sense to me. <laughs> uh huh. But I will say, like you know, you guys brought in Graham Potter in the middle of the season. You guys made a ton of signings. All the um the the center back that you guys signed. Um, what's his name? Bad- Badia Shile or something. What, how do you say his name? I actually don't know. Who are you? I don't even know who you're talking about. The, the tall, the tall French center back. Um, I can't, I can't remember how to um pronounce his name, but he's oh, he's oh. really good. Uh, Badia Shile. Okay. Oh, I had it right. Jesus. Okay. Look at me. Look <laughs> at me. Um, but anyway, he's really good. Um, I think he's going to take some time. Mudrik is that kid is a star. He just needs some time. Um, and, and then I feel like, you know, with Potter, I think he's got to clear some stuff out and get rid of the guys that don't really fit his system and then bring in even more guys that do fit his system. And I think it's going to take some time. He was, he was, he was a good manager in Brighton. I think he'll do a good job for you guys too. I don't know if he's an elite manager, but he did a really good job there. I don't see why he can't do a good job with you guys with a bigger budget and more talent. So, yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. I mean, health struggles have really been the, the big deal. I mean, uh, Chilwell's missed most of the year. It's been not pretty, but I mean, The whole situation up front, I mean, from Lukaku to, I guess we'll try to get Aubameyang, which, uh, yeah, who's working out better, Jorginho or Aubameyang? (laughs) But um, what I was trying to say, Nick, um, I I just feel like, you know, even like Kai Havertz playing out of position the whole season has been weird. So let's hope for better days. We'll hope for better days for you guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got to say the morality of rooting for an Abramovich own team is slightly lessened. You know, we have clearly, clearly excellent human being Todd Burley in charge now, so that can't possibly go wrong, right? All right. Anything else you want to cover here before we wrap this one up? Um, no. I just appreciate you having me on. Um, go Yankees, right? If you guys didn't know, Nick and I are big Yankee fans. 
we are we were supposed to be excited about the season and then carlos rodon <laughs> went down with an oh, injury yeah. and the harrison bader went down with an injury and aaron hicks is staring at fly balls in left field we it's it's a confusing time and now aaron judge who we just gave a fat fat contract who's going to be playing more center field which means more risk of injury and then we're hearing that john carlos stanton's telling people that he hits better when he plays in the field so it looks like stanton's gonna be playing more right field a lot's going on man a lot is going on and um i don't know how excited i feel however the one caveat to all of this is that the next the second coming of Derek jeter is on the yankees his name is anthony volpe and he, <laughs> here we go he, he continues to rake he can play the field he's got this like quiet charisma to him he just looks like a star we got Jason Dominguez, who we brought in from another planet, who has already hit four home runs in spring training. He he looks like he has the same physique as Mike Trout, but he's, what, 18, 19 years old, four. whatever. He's four. He's the uh, same age Jason Tatum is. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's awesome. And I'm... trying to be optimistic and excited about what this season will be like so um go yanks is the last you know what i'm sure other baseball fans love hearing from us is doom and gloom about the new york yankees (laughs) that's what i'm sure i'm sure everybody you know all those all those qatari man city fans are (laughs) that's what they're doing they're rooting for uh, for this right now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all the uh kansas city royal fans who are listening to us absolutely hate us right now uh my my entire uh my dad's entire side of the family from cincinnati ohio is like what are you doing <laughs> why are you doing this to us what did we do <sighs> god but um yeah man go yanks go yanks all right. Well, he is Albert Gim. You can find him on Twitter at Albert O. Gim. And be sure to read his piece on Colby Jones if you haven't already. And be sure, of course, to check out his interview with Colby that will be releasing on Thursday. So two days after this podcast comes out. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. That is always much appreciated on our end. And as always, thanks so much for listening.